church in Colossae may well have felt a bit like we often do compared to the world outside. They were small, insignificant, vulnerable. Uh, Lots was going on in their world. People saying, live this way or live that way. Do this thing or do that thing. And it was beginning to infiltrate the church. And so people were saying to the church, you've got Jesus and if Jesus is good, hey, that's cool. If he works for you, that's fine. But why not try this as well? Why not do this in addition to Jesus? And so they were being enticed away from trusting the whole of their lives to the name above every name. To the only name that can save. And that's uh, where we pick up these uh, verses. Paul is writing to them uh, to encourage them. Encourage them that Jesus is all that they uh, need. If you flick back uh, a page, uh, is it a page or it might even be on the same page? Let me just find it in a pew Bible so we can see where we are. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you look in chapter 1, from verse 15 onwards, uh, Paul wants to emphasize to them the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is all that they need. In fact, if you read the whole of chapter 1, you'll realize that Paul's emphasis on the word all and Christ being everything is almost extremely over the top. And that's because what he wants to say above all else, you do not need anyone or anything else. If you've got Jesus, then you've got him. Ah, someone said amen. If you've got Jesus, you, you've got all that you need. For now, for thank you, for this life, for the next life, for this moment, for every moment. And, and, and the last thing was making Paul so angry that these young upstarts would come along and say, well, you've got Jesus, but maybe he's not enough. Try this. And try that. And put your trust in something else. Another way of doing life. Another value. Another ty- type of uh, apathy. Jesus is all that you need. And I want you to know, beginning of verse 2, how much I'm struggling for you. This is really matters, says Paul, and for those at Laodicea. I'm really struggling for you. I've not met you personally, but I'm longing that you remain faithful and true to Jesus. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, full of the riches and with complete understanding and so on. And then he gets to verse 6 where we are this morning. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him. Rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So those two verses, we have a foundational clause, then we get a command, then we have three examples. Foundational clause, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. That's what it, where it begins, that's where it started, that's what we're building on. If that be true, continue to live in him. And then three examples, plants and buildings, education and uh, rivers. And we'll get to those in just a little while, just before quarter past two. So, the foundation, here we go. Uh, 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 I've had lots of time to think over the summer. I've got lots of things to say. Uh, I can't possibly wrap it all up by half past twelve or something like that. Okay, foundation, here we go. You've received Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, the word received is quite interesting 
because it uh, conjures up for the people reading it a particular tradition, an oral tradition, of passing on information. Paul uses the indicative, imperative, which is often the way he speaks and others do in the Bible when they're talking about the way people have carefully passed on oral tradition. There weren't books, there weren't computers, there weren't the printing press. They had to carefully pass things on. So what Paul is saying is here is something that has been safeguarded and carefully passed on. And the verb he uses is the one he so often uses when he's talking about this very careful passing on of important doctrines. So, for example, you will know if you're in church frequently that around the Lord's table we say, for what I've received from the Lord, I've passed on to you. Special technical term. He doesn't mean, hey, these are a few ideas and I've just chucked them out. I've carefully, deliberately, protecting its truth, passed it on to you. I've received from the Lord what I've passed on to you. Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, blah, blah, blah. Another time, he uses exactly the same words in 1 Corinthians 15, for what I've received I passed on to you as of first importance. This matters most, so we've carefully passed it on. What was it? It was Christ died for sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, raised uh, on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter in the Twelve, and so on. So Paul uses this particular language when he's talking specifically about the core truths that are being passed on. And that's what he has in mind here. We've received what we've passed on, this core truth, and right at the heart of this truth was that Christ died for sins, was raised on the third day, and would come again. At the heart of this important truth that was being passed on was that Jesus had come, he was the chosen Messiah, he was the one that the Old Testament speaks of who would come to save his people from their sins. So notice how he uses it as the verse unfolds. So just just as you've received Christ Jesus... That is the one from heaven who's come to save us. Just as you've received that that gospel truth about Jesus Christ, and he adds two very little simple words, as Lord. What's interesting is that when uh, Paul talks about, using this technical term about receiving Christ, his focus is usually about Jesus being our Saviour. But what he wants to say here to this Colossian church who are struggling with all these other doctrines, you must never forget that the Jesus who is your Saviour is the one that you first and foremost receive not as your Saviour, but as your Lord. You see, we talk about receiving Jesus as our Saviour. You might think about the day you became a Christian as receiving Jesus into your heart. And that's all well and good. But what Paul wants to say, to remind us here, is that actually, you become a Christian not by receiving Jesus as Saviour, but you become a Christian by receiving Jesus the Saviour as Lord which is a totally different thing altogether, wouldn't you think? There you are, drowning. 
The man on the edge of the lake throws you the lifeline and invites you to grab it if you then will do everything he says for the rest of your life. You might look at him and prefer to drown. It's an option. What kind of life would it be to live and have to serve him? We have been thrown this incredible lifeline from heaven, but let's not kid ourselves that it wasn't from the Lord who said, grab it, please, with all of your heart, but it means you must serve me. That's the core. Just as you've received Jesus the Savior as Lord. So turn to page 957 very quickly, Romans chapter 10, page 957. Just a few pages back. No, it's not. It's not page 957. It's page 957 in my Bible, which isn't in yours. 1137. No, I want, um, I want Romans 10. Is that it? Yeah, okay. 1137. Thank you. So it is. So it is. Verse 8. Uh, the word is near you, it's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith. We are proclaiming the truth of the gospel that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is my Saviour. No. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, believe in your heart that when God raised Jesus from the dead, it was an affirmation both then and forever that Jesus is Lord, because no one dies and comes back from the dead except Him, then you will be Concern is often expressed about why people make a a decision to follow Christ and quickly drift away. And one of the reasons that's suggested is that actually in our encouragement for people to receive Jesus, we make it easy by not telling the whole truth. Receive Jesus as your saviour, period. The Bible never invites us to do that. The Bible always invites us to receive Jesus as our Lord. And He will be our Saviour. Dick Lucas makes the point, part of this understanding that we must ask of an inquirer is a recognition of Christ as Lord. Our tendency is to speak of receiving Christ as Saviour rather than Lord. Worse still, we even catch ourselves half-hiding the authoritative demands of the Lord in our eagerness to commend the attractive offer of the Saviour. When this happens, the only thing to be hidden is our heads in shame. For this way of talking turns the Gospel upside down. Jesus can be our Saviour only because He is our Lord. So we have this foundation. Receive Jesus Christ as Lord, and then the command, continue in him. Continue to live in Him. For Paul, there's this unavoidable correlation between belief and behaviour. If your belief has changed and your behaviour hasn't, your belief probably didn't change. For Paul, there's always... Which is why when James says at the end of the New Testament and people get all, all you know, uppity, James is, you know, gospel by works and stuff, James is just making the same point. If you say you've got faith but still behave in the same old way, your faith is useless. Your faith doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't prove itself to be genuine. Belief always leads to change behaviour. 
And so what does this mean if we've got to continue in him as Lord? You can see suddenly now why it's so important. It's easy to continue with Jesus the Savior, isn't it? You see, that's easy. I can get up tomorrow morning with my Jesus who is my Savior and I can thank him for forgiving all my sins, and he has. I can uh, wake up tomorrow morning and I can celebrate the Jesus who will guarantee my life today, tomorrow, and uh, to the end of time and be on time because he has and he will. And I can spend my day rejoicing in Jesus, my Savior. But that's not what's asked of me here. What's asked of me here is to continue to live in him as Lord. Which is a rather different question, don't you think, tomorrow morning? What do you want me to do today for you? What do you, where do you want me to go today for you? Who do you want me to give of myself for today for you? What is in my life that is dishonouring you that you want to sort out today for you? It's a very different question. And at the beginning, initially, perhaps what it meant to those uh, Colossians who were struggling against all this false teaching was firstly, continue with Jesus as Lord. Don't sell out. Don't do anything that suggests that in your heart you're beginning to sign up to the truth that Jesus isn't quite enough. And we need to guard against that, don't we? It's very easy to do something that in your thoughts and your actions and in your heart, it's almost like you're saying, Jesus isn't quite enough. I'll trust him, but. And so Paul's saying, for goodness sake, guard your mind, your hearts, not to do anything that begins to chip away at the truth as to whether Jesus really, truly is enough. Secondly, what might it mean to continue to live in him as Lord? Well, if, if that's the deal, if him being in charge, in control is the deal, if I'm con- to continue to live in him, then I have to continue to invite his lordship into every part of my life. Now, there are two types of people here. There are those that haven't yet made Jesus completely Lord, and there are those that are perfect. And I thought we'd organize the church along those two lines this morning. So there's always work to do, isn't there? So when I read in God's Word today, continue to live in Him, and okay, uh, what does that mean for me? It means continue to allow His Lordship to push further, deeper into my life, my heart, my living, my thinking, my speaking my reflecting, every thought, every action, every word, continue in Him as Lord. So how's it going? How's it going? You see, there's something quite attractive about a sprint. In fact, looking at some of you, maybe nothing's attractive about a sprint. (laughs) And not with me either. So hey, you know, uh, 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 there's something attractive about a sprint that it's over quickly. That's probably the only thing attractive about a sprint. You know, hey, whoa, this will, whatever else happens, this will be over in 10 seconds if it's 100 meters. Well, perhaps 10 minutes if it's 100 meters. Uh, it'll, it'll be over. It'll be over before lunch. Uh, 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 and, uh, and we treat the Christian life like that. We go off like the clappers. There's something really exciting, isn't it, about a new Christian that goes off like the clappers. Isn't there something exciting about that? 
and they can't help but share their faith. Nobody's told them that it's a difficult thing to do, so, you know, take it steady. They just do it because it's natural. They're full of enthusiasm about Jesus. They wake up in the morning and they worship him. No one's told him that they should be grumpy like most other Christians. You know, and and away they go, off like the clappers. And, And we want to celebrate that and we want to encourage that. But I want to ask you, how's it going? When you discovered it wasn't a sprint. The worst thing about the cross country at school was the way everybody started off. Everyone started off like it was a sprint. And they used to race off as if the goal was to get to the end of the field. And we still had about six or ten miles to go. And you get to the end of the field, this wasn't a sprint. This was a long haul. And I want to ask you how the long haul's going. You know, really, how's it going? Because it's hard work, isn't it? You know, if you're going to do the you know, Ipswich half marathon, half marathon, <laughs> you want to do a full thing, half marathon. You know, if you're doing a full marathon, like some of you have done, maybe, when you get to, where is it, mile 18, mile 20, it's really hard. And, and, and you know, the, the sort of joy of starting off and everyone cheering, that's well gone. And it might feel like that in your Christian life. Hey, it started off great and there were people around me and everyone was celebrating, everyone was pleased, and I was baptized, everyone was thrilled. All that seems to have died down now and it's a bit of a slog. Hey, it's a bit of a slog sometimes. It's a bit of a struggle. Paul writes like that, doesn't he, a bit early on. I'm struggling, I'm laboring. You know, he doesn't use the word labor lightly, ladies, does he? Oh, all your children just popped out, I know. <laughs> It's, oh, it's time, I'll just walk out. There's a bit of effort involved in labor. I've seen it. So it takes a bit of effort. You know, a bit of, bit of concentration before lunch. And he uses that word. It's a struggle sometimes. I want to say, how is the struggle going with continuing to live with Jesus as Lord? So that thing in your life, you've got so used to being a Christian and having that thing there that quite frankly doesn't honor Jesus as Lord, that it's dead easy now just to leave the two side by side. How hard is it? I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to be happy with where I am as a Christian. I'm not going to be happy with the level of my devotional life. I'm not going to be happy with my service. I'm not going to be happy with the level of of God's presence that I know and experience. I'm not going to settle for what I know just now. It's hard, isn't it? Just me. Pull into a lay-by, spiritual lay-by. I'll just have a snooze. Do you know? And sometimes you can be there for a year, two years, three years. Some of you might have pulled into a lay-by a decade ago. You never really meant to stop. You know, we've done a lot of driving on the continent. Sometimes we've driven through the night and it's kind of like three o'clock in the morning and you know it's time to stop. Uh, and you think, pull out, I just have a little snooze and you wake up and it's morning. You know, you didn't mean to sleep through the night. You, you just meant to pull in for a few minutes. And, and maybe you did that in your spiritual life. It got a bit difficult. You just pulled in for a little while. Uh, and suddenly this morning you're thinking, hey, I, I haven't, I'm still pulled in. I'm still in the lay-by. You didn't mean to stop your quiet time. Just one morning, it was one thing too many. You ever had a morning like that? One thing to, and, and you stopped and you thought, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. And it didn't quite get around to doing it tomorrow. And you never ever decided that you were going to stop, but you pulled into the lay-by and you just never got going again. And Paul says to these Colossians, hey, hey, it's the long haul. You've got to continue in him as Lord. I need your help to keep going. You need my help to keep going. We need each other's help to keep going because this is hard work. Struggling with all 
his energy, Paul says, just towards the end of chapter uh, 1. How is it going to continue in him as Lord? And then Paul gives these three uh, examples. He talks about being rooted and built up, a mix of metaphors, maybe, or maybe not. I'll come to that uh, in a moment. If, if a tree is going to grow to full maturity, it takes a bit of time. You know, one of the amazing things about a huge tree is to think how long it's been there. And to think what was going on around it when it was just a young, thin, wavering in the wind tree, and then it grew a bit and it grew a bit, and so on. You go to Christchurch Park, how long have those trees been there? They weren't planted last month, were they? And I want it now in my Christian life. And you're encouraged to want everything now because you can have instant everything now. Even the microwaves are slow these days because we want it now. It should just happen now. If I can't have it now, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning, I need to sort out my car insurance. I want to do it now. I expect to be able to do it now. Why should I wait for anything? But hey, if you're going to be rooted and built up, it's going to take some time. That's going to take some time. And there is something beautiful, isn't there, about a Christian that's journeyed with Jesus for many years and continues to grow in him. Don't you think you know the people I mean? You don't meet that many of them, actually. But they've given it the time. Week in, week out, month in, month. They've gone through it with Jesus. They've celebrated with him, they've wept with him, they've journeyed with him through it all. It's going to take some time. And so Paul says to these guys, look, you're rooted in the right place. For goodness sake, for goodness sake, don't get uprooted and go into another soil or another plant. And that's what, that's what people do sometimes, don't they? Become a Christian, it gets a bit hard. Okay, that hasn't worked out. I'll put my roots down into something else. See how that goes. And you get repotted. In fact, I heard someone talking about uh, um, marriage and uh, the, 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 how the, you've, got to, you've got to push through at least to year 10 for a successful marriage. And, and it, it talk, he was talking about how uh, all these sociological studies, how, how people find the first seven years really hard. And if you're going to build a strong marriage, first seven years are really hard. And how many people bail out in the hard time simply to repot into another marriage. So they go through the difficult years and they go, that was hard, I know what I'll do, I'll do that all over again. And they go, oh, this is hard. And some people go, oh, this has been hard twice. Oh, I'll, I'll try some other soil, another wife. And a, hey, wives, they're all the same. <laughs> Husbands are all the same too, really. Okay, you can get the odd... Sorry, I nearly said something that wouldn't have come out too clever on the podcast. Uh, you can get some husbands that are a bit tricky. Um, uh, uh, hey, do you know? So you go through the really hard stuff, and when it's about to get good, you go, oh, this has been hard. I'll jump ship, and I'll, I'll repot. And the Colossians were going through some really tough stuff, and they go, hey, uh, this is getting a bit difficult, holding on to Jesus in all of this. We'll repot. We'll go for another Jesus, another religious type. We'll do another kind of thing. Go for another wife. Paul says, please don't do that. You're rooted in Christ. You're rooted in the right place. You're in the right soil. And hey, you might think, hey, I pulled into a lay-by and I've, I've been sitting cold for a mile. Just rejoice this morning, you're rooted in the right place, hey? Hey, you don't need to be repotted. I mean, that must be quite stressful for a plant. You know, the plants have feelings and stuff. You're one of those types. 
you know, it must be quite stressful for a plant to get repotted. How stressful for you to get, you don't need to. If you're in Jesus, you're in the right place. Hey, if you're not in Jesus, get out the pot you're in and get into Jesus so that you never need to move again. Don't need to keep repotting. And your roots go down. And if your roots are down in the right place, then you're going to begin to be built up. And I said that maybe it's a mix of metaphors. Maybe it isn't because uh, the idea of rooting in, uh, in, in those days was, was often used in, in building terms as well. You would root the foundations uh, before you built a, 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 a building. Uh, and you've got the foundations to build, says Paul. Don't move. Stick with it. Stick with it. Interestingly enough, these sociological studies, I'm going way off the point now, just in case you're interested, said that year 35 of marriage is, mwah, that's the one. I can't wait. Yeah, year 35 is supposed to be, whoa. Yeah, you, you know, but hey, there's a lot of work to get there, isn't there? But it's worth it. It's worth it. Push on through. And, and Paul's saying a similar thing. Uh, even more important than marriage, push on through with Jesus. Work through it. Work through the stuff that you and Jesus disagree about. Just like in marriage, you'll be wrong. <laughs> hey, he's never wrong. Right? Work through it. Keep going. You've got your foundations in the right place. For goodness sake, don't give up. So if there's building going on, I'm going to ask you today, what building work is going on in your life? If your foundation's in the right place, then there should be some building work going on. There is a very depressing site, isn't there? And that's a building site where construction has stopped. That's a depressing place, isn't it? You know, it's all going... But a building site where construction is underway, even though it's not finished, it's quite exciting, isn't it? When that place was going up, it was quite exciting, wasn't it? You come, you know, perhaps every week and go, whoa, this has happened and this has changed and stuff. It wasn't finished. Of course it wasn't finished. But there was hope, anticipation, enthusiasm. Hey, it's happening. It's growing. Nothing worse than a, something that's under construction where the construction has stopped. Now, you are under construction. You're not finished. You're not, you're not the end product. Praise God for all our sakes. Uh, for all of us. We're, we're not finished. This isn't done. When we get to heaven, you're going to be better than you are right now, and so am I. Praise God for all of that. We're, we're a work in progress. But a work in progress can be quite exciting, full of anticipation. It's changing, it's coming, it's developing. Are you that type of construction just now, or is it all a bit derelict? Have the railings gone up? Has the finance dropped? Has the, whoa, nothing's happening here? Have the weeds started to grow up on the patio that was laid full of hope and anticipation? Where, where are you right now? And what can you do uh, about it? What does your life best resemble? Se uh, second example, a school metaphor. You can do something about it. Strengthened as you were taught. To continue with Jesus as Lord means to stay rooted so that you can be built up. But it also means to be strengthened as you were or continue to be taught. No. That's something we can do about it. The Bible says that we can learn to grow in our faith, but it takes effort. Those of you who've done exams and uh, done well in your exams, in fact, most of them have, have gone, who did well in their exams, uh, uh, put a reasonable amount of effort into it that they might grow in their subject. And so I'm asking, inviting you to think about how much effort you're going to put into your growing in your faith because you can, God's Word says, be strengthened in your faith as you were taught and continue to hold on to 
the teachings. Now, the thing about being taught is that often you forget what you were taught. I I cannot remember uh, hardly anything about my A-level results, uh, my A-level exams, and what I learnt and so on. Uh, It's a mystery now. Could I do that paper today? No. Would I want to do that paper today? No. No. Uh, hopefully in God's agenda there'll be no reason for me to do that paper again uh, I I hope but at a time uh, I was reasonably aware of some of the issues about pulleys and stuff all pointless kind of stuff and uh, knew about that but I didn't continue with it Uh, and what the challenge is here are you continuing with what you have been taught and sometimes we go well I learnt in, uh, in Sunday school I learnt about Abraham and Noah and Jacob and Exodus and all that I knew about Jesus, the cross. That's not the issue. The issue is, are you continuing to grow in what you were taught? So one person wrote in to, a, to the British Weekly some years ago and said, Dear sir, I noticed that ministers uh, seem to set a great deal of importance on their sermons and spend a great deal of time preparing them. I've attended services quite regularly for the past 30 years, and during that time, if I estimate correctly, I've listened to no less than 3,000 sermons. Try preaching them, mate. But to my consternation, I discover I cannot remember a single one of them, pagan. I wonder if a minister's time might be more profitably spent on something else. You're sincerely heretic. Okay, so he wrote that in, you know, (laughs) this is funny. (laughs) <laughs> this is funny, yes, laugh a minute. Um, the letter triggered, as you might imagine, an avalanche of angry response for weeks. Sermons were castigated and defended by lay people and clergy, but eventually a single letter closed the debate. Dear sir, I've been married for 30 years. Hey, you've still got five to go before it goes mwah. I've been married for 30 years. During that time, I've eaten 32,000 meals, mostly of my wife's cooking. Suddenly I've discovered that I cannot remember the menu of a single meal. And yet I've received nourishment from every single one of them. I have the distinct impression that without them I would have starved to death long ago. Yours sincerely. It's nourishment we need, isn't it? I need that. I need that. I need to be nourished. And part of what we're about to do uh, 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 next uh, through this uh, autumn called um, Believe It, Big Truths About God is to nourish our lives on the things that are really true about God. You'll be able, I'm sure, to say a few things about each of the headings before the sermon. You go, I know a little bit about that, and I know a little bit about that, but are our lives rooted and nourished in the truth that we might be continually strengthened in our faith? So, unashamedly, I want to invite you every Sunday, get yourself here. Uh, I'm going to do my best to get myself here as well, and together we're going to look at these big things about God as we go from Genesis through to Revelation. What are the big truths, the the big ideas, the the pillars that hold our faith up? Have we got them all clear in our minds? And has our belief in those things affected our behaviour? And are we continuing to nourish our lives on these things that matter most? So Sunday, make learning a priority by coming on a Sunday. But you can make learning a priority by being part of your small group because you need to understand other people in order to understand what God's doing in your life. They need to understand you in order to understand what God's doing in their life. We all need each other. If you don't go to a small group, you miss out and they miss out. So it works it's a double whammy. So I'm inviting everyone to be part of a small group. And if you're not sure which, your, which small group is yours or, or you, you, you're too 
too embarrassed because you haven't been for a while and you want to fix it, come and see me or find Katie. She'll be back on Wednesday. And we'll sort you out with a small group for this series that together we can continue to strengthen and encourage one another because we all need each other's help to keep going in Jesus as Lord. Then day by day, we'll have a personal Bible reading uh, plan that we'll give you next Sunday so that every day there's something in God's Word for you to read that will support and supplement all that we're doing through uh, the term. If you look at it and think, I don't like that, I don't care, make sure you read something else in God's Word. And you say, how do I do that? Open the Bible, start reading it. It doesn't matter where you read in a sense as long as you don't go to the same places all the time. Read something new, open it, say, God, I want you to speak to me. Start reading until you hear God speak to you, and then you can stop. If you haven't heard God speak, don't stop. If you're late for work, write a nice letter of apology. I don't know, sort it out. But we need to hear God speak, don't we? You know, the thing about reading plans is I feel chuffed when I've got to the end of the plan. That's not really the deal, is it? You know? Hey, I've done my Bible readings all week. What did God say? No idea. (laughs) No point. Continue as Jesus as Lord. Speak to me. I need to hear you. It's not, it's, not, it's not the icing on the cake to hear God speak. I need to hear God speak to live for him. I don't think I'm unusual in that. I need to hear him speak. We need that nourishment in our hearts and in our uh, lives. Uh, and uh, the courses, we talked about the courses, maybe one of those is for you this autumn. Well, what you're going to do, you're going to say, it's Saturday morning, they're not all on Saturday mornings, but just take Saturday morning as an example. 8.30, I'm going to get myself here, I'm going to have breakfast for half an hour, then for an hour and a quarter, no more than that, I'm going to commit my mind and my heart to thinking about something, aspect of living for Jesus uh, today, that I might grow and be nourished. 10, 15, it's all finished. Go and do what you like for the rest of the day. Even go back to bed if it's been an early start. You can do whatever. But it's just a small block of time and you're saying, I'm committing to this because I want to continue in Jesus as Lord. And some of you will look at the one about sharing your faith and go, I don't like that. I don't like that either, really. But, maybe that's the one for you this time, because Jesus is Lord, and Jesus says, hey, I want you to be really good at just telling people about me. And if you're not really good, then Jesus being Lord would be to sort that out, wouldn't it? Thanks, Donald. Always encouraging Donald. (laughs) Grateful for him. Uh, Or you go, okay, this whole maturity thing. Actually, I need to do that. I've been a Christian 40 years, but I, I, I pulled into a lay-by. I need to get going again. Discovering spiritual maturity will help you get out the lay-by, get going again, give you tools, give you ideas, stimulate and encourage you to get going again, to live with Jesus as Lord. And so it goes on. And the final example is from a river, the idea of overflowing, overflowing with thankfulness. Is your life bursting with thankfulness? Bursting with thankfulness. It should be. And you say, you don't know what's going on in my life. I can't be thankful. I probably don't know what's going on in your life, but I know enough about most people's lives to know that probably what's going on in some of our lives is really hard right now. And and those particular circumstances that are crushing and squeezing us would do anything but make us thankful. But the Bible says, be thankful always. So, well, I've got nothing to be thankful about. Oh, yes, you have. Be thankful that there's a God in heaven that despite what you're going through, loves you from the bottom of his heart. 
Be thankful that despite what you're going through, there is a day when it will come to an end. There will be a day of no mores. Be thankful that whatever you're going through, 2,000 years ago, the Son of God died the most agonizing human death possible, taking the sin of the world on his shoulders at the same time because he loved you. Be thankful that even in the mess of what you're going through, God will come to you even in that darkness. We can find something to be thankful for, can't we? But it's really hard. And I need you to help me be thankful sometimes. You need me to help you be thankful sometimes. But the mark of going with Jesus as Lord is that thankfulness will bubble up. Because the more we go with Jesus as Lord, the more we'll see Him rather than what's crushing us. The more we'll trust in His power rather than the powers that are holding onto onto us. And so thankfulness will rise up uh, within us. Uh, we, we, we'd pulled into a site somewhere and, uh, uh, and we hadn't been there very long. Another guy pulled in and uh, his first words to me were well grumpy. Oh, this electric isn't working or words to that effect. Now, hey, it can be frustrating when your electrics don't work. Don't get me wrong. So, you know, a bit of pressure, a bit of stress. You're on holiday. You want it all to work, right? And I thought, oh, we've got a right one here. And he was a Christian. <laughs> and he go, oh, for heaven's sake, why is that? Why are the Christians the grumpy ones? We don't go through tougher stuff than people out there, do we? Well, not generally, I don't think. Okay, there's a whole spiritual warfare thing going on, true. But sometimes we're the grumpy ones. You know, you spot a Christian by a hundred yards. Ooh. You know, oh, save me. You know, all you want is a caravan next to a right load of pagans that are just happy, chilled, to be on all day. You know, overflowing with thankfulness. I need help to do that sometimes. So do you. Believe me, so do you. We all need help. But that's the mark. Going on with Jesus as Lord. And some of the greatest testimonies ever that I've known are people that I know who've traveled with Jesus many years and right now they're going through what you wouldn't believe. But there's a grace, a peace, a serenity, a beauty. I go, I want that. Ever done that? I want that. That's real. That's genuine. That's the real thing. That's what it really means to live with Jesus as Lord. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord, I want to keep going. I want to keep going. Like many of us here, we sang at our baptism about Jesus that will follow to the end or sang about deciding to follow Jesus or there's only one way, Jesus, the only one that we'll live for. I want to keep going. I want to pull out the lay-by. I want to reaffirm in my own life that I'm rooted in the right place, that it's only Jesus. I want to recommit to reading God's Word, to praying, to being with other Christians, to doing the things that nourish my faith and strengthen me, make me strong. I want to be dissatisfied with how weak I am as a Christian. I don't want to be weak and ineffectual. I want to be strong and fruitful because that's your plan for my life. And I'm going to give myself for that because it matters And I want to be overflowing with thankfulness. 
If I can't see anything to be thankful for in your grace, would you raise my gaze today to see your love and your mercy, to see your grace? That today, tomorrow, I might continue not just with Jesus, my Saviour, but Jesus, my Lord, whom I serve wholeheartedly, but whom I serve with wholehearted devotion.